This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Welcome to Better Late Than Never, a movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, cult favorite, or otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my guest will decide if it was better late that they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never. The movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave, and I'm your host. Today, I am joined by first-time guest Michelle... And we are watching a movie that she's never seen before. Taxi Driver from 1976. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So this movie was uh, one that you picked. Mm -hmm. Why do you want to watch Taxi Driver? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've always wanted to see it. I So I worked at a uh, record store, not record store, um video rental store mm. for three and a half years while I was in college and a video rental store that only just recently went out of business. So that says something about how awesome it was. Yeah, they really hung on there. Yeah, exactly. And I was technically a film student in school. Um, and, <laughs> and so like this is on the list of like very famous movies that I'm like supposed to have seen. So how much shit have people been giving you for not having seen this one? This one. See, this is what I like about this one. This one I don't get shit for. Like you get oh. shit for things like The Godfather yeah. or like Citizen Kane. Uh, I've seen Citizen Kane. I actually still have yet to see The Godfather. But like those are usually the go to give you shit movies. Yeah, I am going to say though that um when i ask people about this podcast movies they haven't seen the godfather is far and away the most common answer i get that makes sense so you're not alone on not having seen <sighs> Thank that goodness I'm probably so a, lot of, pleased. a lot of posers out there yeah yeah that's the thing you never like especially i feel like nowadays it's real easy to fake having seen a oh, very famous movie primarily from simpsons references i feel like Oh, well, Simpsons references, and then also, I mean, Wikipedia, oh, the film sure. poser's best friend. That's true. That's yeah. true. But I think I've been able to convince someone that I've watched The Shining solely based on, like, that one episode of The Simpsons. It's really accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get a lot of plot out of that one. Yeah. I mean, uh, part of what I like about this podcast, too, is that um, occasionally I come across films that I knew from The Simpsons, and I didn't even realize it was a reference. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, um... I remember the first time, this is, I mean, before I was doing the podcast, but the first time I saw Alien, mm. I'd seen a Simpsons episode on it already where, like, Willie is... Uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Grease yeah. me up, woman. Exactly. Yeah, yeah so. <laughs> um, Well, so did you, like, how did you wind up not seeing it? You know, like, was it something you were avoiding or did it just fall through the cracks? Yeah, I think it just probably fell through the cracks. I mean, I guess I was not actively avoiding it, but I mean, 
it's not like it's a movie I haven't seen that's considered, I think, a fun movie. Like, it's not like this no. is going to be a good time. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not necessarily always eager to see, like, you're in for some real heavy shit kind of movies. So, like, I think it was one of those things where I'm like, well, if I happen to watch it at any point, like in a class, I assume, or with a bunch of film nerds, like this happens in life to me very frequently. So <laughs> it'll probably happen. And then it never happened. And I was like, well, if by myself, I'm not going to just like decide <laughs> to watch Taxi Driver. So yeah, that that feels I feel like you've got a pretty good read on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is always one of those like, oh, I do want to get around to that. Um, mostly because I actually really like movies with prostitutes in them. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and that's the only thing I know about Taxi Driver is that I think Jodie Foster plays a very, very young prostitute. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I'll put that down as a prediction. <laughs> okay, that's but... my prediction because I think that's the only thing I felt confidently that I knew about the movie. And I was like, that's... And it actually, if it weren't for that, I probably would intentionally never have watched Taxi Driver. <laughs> hmm. Well, I, I want to continue on with your predictions. But mm. before we do that, I want to circle back to you like movies with prostitutes in them. Yeah, I do. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I just find it fascinating. What's another movie with prost? Like, I guess I could think of some. But what are you thinking of when you say that? Um... Yeah, I guess I don't really even know. I can't, like, think of a bunch of them off the top of my head. I just know that if I hear that about a movie, I'm like, oh, I'm a little interested to watch that now. Oh, okay, it's got Do you watch The Deuce? No, I should, though. That's a good recommendation. Yeah, although, well, I, I don't watch it either. Yeah. Um, I know it's about porn, and I believe some characters are ex-prostitutes, but I don't know if they go into actual prostitution they probably do probably. they must right yeah it's Who like the wire I, they probably cover like tons of stuff that's not in the plot synopsis. i mean based on like the premise of the show and how hbo previews it it seems <laughs> like that's probably gonna happen yeah that feels safe yeah all right cool well so do you have any other predictions of stuff you expect to see in this movie yes okay. well so i mean my main prediction surrounding the prostitute concept is if there's one thing I know about films, it's that prostitutes have to be punished because, um, you know, even if they're the nicest, most wonderful person on the planet, like minus pretty woman, like you, <laughs> like I'm, so I'm expecting her to be murdered or tortured, possibly both. Hmm. But like either way, something awful has to happen to her because she's a prostitute. Mm -hmm. That's my major prediction. Yeah, so you weren't kidding when you said you thought this was going to be tough to watch. Oh, yeah, then. no. Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well prepared. <laughs> okay. Anything else? Um, I mean, I feel like, so I grew up in very rural Maine. Mm. And I feel like there was a lot of movies that kind of just always gave this impression that, like, cities are dangerous and scary places to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that this movie is going to be one of those. Like, I feel like if I watched it when I was 13, I would have been like, oh, man, who would ever go to a city? That's where you get raped, murdered, and... Addicted and to drugs. A, a and... Super addicted to drugs. Like, probably, like, seedy underbelly of New York crime. Like, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, a lot of things that I think will will would have back in the day put rural Michelle fearing a city, a big city. <laughs> yeah. Um, not to give away whether or not that's an accurate prediction sure. <laughs> or not, but um, uh, 
there has been a tendency in this era, I think starting around this time and continuing maybe into the early 90s where, and we've noticed this on the podcast before, cities, especially New York City, Mm. are portrayed as fucking hell. (laughs) Like, just the decay and the the horrible people, like, they're, yeah, they're not portrayed as nice places to live. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, like, turned into a full-on city girl, um, but, I mean, there was a time when, like, going to Portland, Maine, I was like, this is a really big city. I know, the, the <laughs> glitz and the bright lights. Exactly. And now I'm now I, like, bring people to Portland from Boston, and they're like, is there more? No, there's no more. This is it. This is the city. Oh, but that's the appeal. It's cute. It is. It's adorable. I yeah. love it. Which, of course, is what people from New York say about Boston and exactly. so on and so forth. People from New York say it a little judgier than that. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, anything else? Um, I mean, those were like my, my really big ones. I'm very um, excited to see a young Robert De Niro. Uh, uh, yes. Just because... He's one of those people that, like, I just, I don't think I've ever seen him in a movie where he wasn't being an old guy. Like, he's got one of those, uh, like, old guy faces. And oh so God, yeah. I'm I'm interested to see how this works. Like, he's like Steve Martin. Like, you grew into the old look you were already sporting. Oh, my God. As a young yes. guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he he looks like a real life young person in this movie, but... There is something about his face now where you feel like this is what you always looked like and it was just waiting to break yeah. out of you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm very interested to to check that out. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's mostly everything that I was expecting. Do you have any calls on anyone else who might be in the movie? Oh, gosh, no. Other than Robert De Niro and Jodie Foster, I can't think of. I mean, I'm, I uh, probably. Yeah. I uh, mean, maybe one of those like. Maybe there's going to be one of those characters that's like, oh, my God, that's that dude that's in, like, all those movies. And I recognize his face, but I don't know his name. Like, maybe, yeah, like, a significant. Guy. Yeah, like, the that guy is going to be in it. <laughs> yeah. For me, that was always uh, James Rayborn. Mm, I don't even, yeah, I don't even recognize the name. He's um very tall and skinny and pale. He was, like, he's, like, in everything. Yeah, he's I'm never sure a I would recognize character. his yeah. face. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll show it to you uh, when we're in between. Yeah. And you'll you'll see if you recognize him. Cool. Um, do you know who directed this? Oh. No, I don't actually. Okay. Um, I mean, I probably knew at one point, And I'm sure if I was told, I would be like, oh, right, 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 right. Um, but no, off the top of my head, I cannot remember. I mean, I could guess, like, this maybe is one of those, like, famous ones I forgot about, like, as a Scorsese or a, um, I don't know, other famous person I can't think of right now. Sure, sure, sure. Um, here's one that I don't always ask, but I think is applicable to this movie. Mm. Are there any quotes you associate with this film? I was trying to think of that before, yeah. and I, every single one I could think of, because I was, I was like, really targeting Robert De Niro, and I was like, I think that quote's not from this one. Oh, I think that quote, like, I, like, the two that I thought of that I then ruled out was the, like, are you talking to me mm-hmm. one, and then there was the, like, hey, I'm walking here. I basically thought of, like, what's a famous quote with a real thick New York City accent? Yeah, especially the uh, walking here one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but I think both of those are from different movies. I thought that one, I, I think one of them's from 
just in case I didn't Google to find out the answers. I think one of them's from, I want to say Midnight Cowboy, and I think the other one is from Raging Bull. So I think I had narrowed those ones out. So, but yeah, like in the back of my head, I feel like there is definitely a famous quote from this and I am just like, it's just out of reach. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I guess lastly, and this is sort of like kind of two questions smushed together. Uh, you sort of mentioned things that you expect to see, but like, do you have a sense of what the movie is about or what's going to happen I as a plot? Honestly, don't. Like, other than yeah. I feel like just always this inherent assumption that crime is definitely involved. Okay. And and I feel like it's going to either be one of those movies where you are like, oh, this is just an average guy. Oh, no, average guy just got pulled into, like, someone else's business and now it's crazy. Or it's going to be like he's, like, starts crazy um, and then... Like, just gets like, um, like in over his head kind of situation of just like he like dives into it head first and then is like, oh shit, I shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, and then um, kind of like to go along with that, uh, does this movie have any kind of reputation? Has it been hyped? Like you said, people didn't give you too much shit about it, but like, do you have a sense of like, you know, the critical reputation of the film? It's more just like it's just always on those like un like like it's just overly acknowledged like oh no this is a brilliant movie and this is a brilliant piece of filmmaking and acting and you know it goes without saying that everyone should watch it but it it doesn't have like if people haven't I feel like talked about it in the same way that they that they would have like not only have I, like, not seen The Godfather, but could tell you, like, famous lines from it. What's it about? Like, what's going on with it? But I could also tell you, like, I could pretend that I knew, like, how to criticize it. Because, yeah, like, people talk about it. And I don't feel like people talk about talk Taxi Driver as much, other than to just be like, yep, that's on the list. Yeah, the, it, it's sort of, it's always on these critics' lists, but it's... It's sort of not something your friends are all like, oh, let's throw this on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why I always assumed I would have watched it in like one of my film school classes because you don't necessarily know why it's on the list. Like I because I felt yeah. that way about something like Citizen Kane where like in film class, like obviously we went over that one. Mm-hmm. And then he will explain to me why it was important and like why it was iconic. And I was like, oh, OK, yeah, no, that makes sense. Thank you for watching it and explaining it to me. Um, and so, like, I just kind of always assumed, like, Taxi Driver would also be something I was forced to watch and someone would explain it to me. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we'll try and fulfill that here yeah. today. <laughs> and um, I think that's good. So, uh, unless you got anything else you want to get on record, I think we're ready to watch this thing. Yeah, I'm jazzed. Let's do it. All right. Taxi Driver. We'll be right back. De Niro. In Bang the Drum Slowly, the critics called him a brilliant new talent. After Mean Streets, they said he was a genius. For his performance in The Godfather Part Two, they gave him the Academy Award. Come on, man. Just get me out of here, all right? Now, Robert De Niro creates a terrifying portrait of life on the edge of madness. Tabby, just forget about this. It's nothing. Taxi Driver, a film by Martin Scorsese. 
Yeah, people do anything in front of a taxi driver. I mean anything. People too cheap to, to rent a hotel room. Don't drive a hurry up, will you? People want to embarrass you. It's like you're not even there. It's like, you know, like a taxi driver doesn't even exist. This city here is like an open sewer, you know? It's full of filth and scum. I think I know what you mean, Travis. But it's not going to be easy. Hi. I'd like to volunteer. Why? Why? Because I think that you are the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. The taxi driver is looking for a target. Thanks. Getting ready. Getting organized. Preparing himself for the only moment in his life that will ever mean anything. How much for everything? 350 for the Magnum. 250 for the 38, one and a quarter for the 25, 150 for the 380. That taxi driver's been staring at us. You talking to me? You talking to me? I don't know who's weirder, you or me. You talking to me? Well, who the hell else are you talking? You talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. I don't believe I've ever met anyone quite like you. Oh, yeah? You never see a more chilling performance than this. Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. So that was Taxi Driver. <laughs> it sure was. Uh, was it what you expected? It was not. No, not really at all. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I didn't, uh, just in general, I did not expect it to be as internally motivated. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't expect it was, like, a character piece, basically. Like, I thought, like, it was, right. like, dude, shit happens and, like, pulls him in. Yeah, kind of, like, maybe a little more adventurous or, like, a crime yeah, story. Definitely crimier. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was a lot of crime. I mean, sure, yes. I mean, there definitely was you know the big crimes you know, murder <laughs> big and little <laughs> yep just crime non-stop crime crime galore yeah uh well we'll dive a little bit deeper yeah. into the movie itself but first mm. gonna talk a little bit about the background of this movie okay so this movie was written by a guy named paul schrader mm -hmm. who has he's written a lot of scorsese stuff so this Raging Bull, Last Temptation of Christ. Hmm. More recently, he's directed some stuff, including this movie that just came out called First Reformed with Ethan Hawke. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Supposedly good. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I heard good things. Uh, he also directed a movie called The Canyons. That does not sound familiar. Well, that's because it wasn't very successful. Uh -oh. I am aware of it just because I heard about this ridiculous movie came out that was written by Brett Easton Ellis, starring Lindsay Lohan oh. and the porn star James Dean. Oh, my. Yeah, that was kind of the critical reaction to yeah. it as well. I've always been a little curious about it, though, just because it seems like such an oddball film. I yeah. might want to check it out one day. But, um... Schrader said that this movie came out of a dark period in his personal life. Okie dokie. Um, he was living in New York City while battling chronic insomnia. Which, you know, I think comes through in the film. Uh-huh. I'm worried about him. <laughs> well, I'm sure he's doing better now. As a person. I mean, I'm just like, does he think this movie is a 
about insomnia? Well, no. <laughs> Although Travis Bickle does have insomnia, he, he says so at the does. beginning. I actually myself lived in New York City briefly while battling insomnia and can say that while my experience was not a one-to-one mm. a similar experience to Taxi Driver... The city gets a little surreal when you haven't slept in a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, I was also living in, you know, much uh, much richer, cleaner, nicer New York City of the 2010s compared to the yeah. horrible urban hellscape of the 1970s. I feel like you also maybe managed to not murder anyone. As far as we know. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Good work. So um, That movie set the bar real low for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I did better than Travis Bickle. Yes, you did. And just uh, one other interesting fact I pulled up from the review by Pauline Kael was that they uh, only had seven days in New York City mm-hmm. shooting this movie. Wow. That was pretty crazy. That yeah. is crazy. Got a lot done. So speaking of the directing, this movie, as you sort of predicted, yeah. is directed by Martin Scorsese. I remembered the other name of the famous director I was thinking it might be, and that was Roman Polanski. I oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same era, I Same, guess. yeah, yeah. But uh, do you like his work normally? I don't actually think I've ever seen a Scorsese movie. Oh, really? This is your this first? This might be my first. Yeah. Whoa. I haven't seen Raging Bull. I haven't seen Last Temptation of Crook. Of Christ. Um, There's Goodfellas. Nope. Casino. Nope. The Departed. Yes. I saw that one. Okay. So, no, this is my second Scorsese film. Right on. Right on. Do you like The Departed? I liked The Departed. I mean, I feel like I had the same general reaction I have to most mob related, uh, police related kind of things, which is like I'm able to logically recognize that they're genius. But I'm also kind of bored. Not for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's I'm fair. like, I get it. You're in the mob. Well, the only way out is you're dying. Right. Everyone knows that. They always pull <laughs> you back in. Yeah. yeah. It's seductive at first, but then it curdles. We know. Yeah. Um, well, uh, not to give away what my response to the movie is, but um, I, I think this movie also, for me, has a similar kind of easy to admire hard to like thing mm. going on yeah you know I, I i watch the film and i recognize this is clearly the work of an artistic genius you know this mm-hmm. guy really knows how to direct a movie not really enjoying it too much yeah yeah but we'll, we'll get to we'll more get that. into that so just a little bit on scorsese as background uh taxi driver was his fourth film fourth okay yeah pretty early in his career wow He's got a few directorial ticks that uh, we notice in this movie, okay. among as well as in others. But uh, dude loves his voiceovers. Okay. Big fan of slow mo. Okay. I didn't know this one until I was researching this movie. He apparently often has blonde leading ladies viewed as angelic by the protagonist, who are often wearing white in their first scene. Interesting. I mean, I definitely noted that. I was like, oh, good. There's the virgin. If there's a whore, there's a virgin. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, there there are a lot of religious angles kind of in the subtext of this. But Travis's view of her at first is so very much like that, right? He's got her up on such a pedestal. Yeah. You know, he talks about how she's alone but because nobody else is worthy of her, yeah, they can't touch her, and and even well, he, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's like a very distinct line. Like he like slows that down. Like they can not 
touch, touch her. her. And yeah. I was like, okay, alrighty. Yeah, really a, a little intense. Yeah. Even when he's talking to her himself, he's like, I, I feel like I could barely be worthy of talking to you. Yeah. But then, of course, once she rejects him, yeah. it's like, oh, well, then fuck that bitch yeah. then. Yeah. Another thing that Scorsese does is he loves using pop music. But um, I also saw, and this is a YouTube channel I refer to a lot, this uh, channel, Every Frame of Painting. Mm. They're like video essays on film. Mm. That guy pointed out that Scorsese is also really good at using silence in certain critical moments, usually to highlight a key emotional beat or a crucial decision. Hmm. And the one in this movie he points to is when um, the pimp throws that crumply $20 bill oh, yeah. into his car. It's completely silent while he decides what to do with it until mm. finally he takes the money. Yeah. Um, and then he often gives himself a cameo. Oh, what's his cameo? Um, it is a character in the movie who hops in the car and has a discussion about what his wife is up to. Oh, that guy. The homicidal passenger in the car. Interesting. Yeah, right? Huh, okay. It's kind of weird that that's the cameo he that's, gave himself, Yeah, right? that is a little, a little worrisome. I mean, I think, so, yeah, there's there's that because, you know, just of, like, the things that that character says yeah. and just his whole vibe. Apparently, the reason that's his cameo is because they didn't have someone for the part and he just jumped in and was like, I'll just do it. You know, so it wasn't like he set it aside mm -hmm. and was like, I, this guy, this is what I want to play. I really feel this character, you know, yeah. it was more a matter of... um logistics required. i don't know maybe those were conveniently created logistics <laughs> i understand i understand but um to potentially back up his side of the story he does appear in another moment in the film apparently mm -hmm. he's in the crowd somewhere okay. in another scene so maybe that was the original one i don't know i'm just saying yes it stands out that that's the role he chose to give himself it really does <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anywho, uh, talking about the movie himself, Scorsese said that his idea for the film was he wanted it to be dreamlike or sort of like a drug-induced fugue state, almost. He wanted the feeling to come from it to be somewhere between dreaming and waking, which I guess kind of fits with the insomnia element. I guess. That didn't feel as powerful as I feel like the screenwriter and the director are talking about it. That didn't come across so well? Not for me, no. I mean, I didn't, like, I thought that the insomnia factor was going to be much more significant, and it just didn't feel emotionally significant. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it is just sort of one more thing amidst the whole, like, list of crazy that yeah. Travis has going on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that doesn't feel like the cause of his crazy. No, just, or if it is, it's one amongst many. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then lastly, um, this movie was heavily influenced both in the directing and a thing with the acting, too, by the diaries of Arthur Bremer, hmm. who uh, was a man who attempted to assassinate the political candidate George Wallace in 1972. Do you know who that guy is? Mm -mm. He was a Southern politician who was most famous for saying segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Sure. Um, and then he tried running for president, and this guy shot him. Ah. Uh, uh, the He lived. 
Um, but it was a big deal. And he had, I guess, diaries, much like the ones that we hear in voiceover Got throughout it. this whole thing. So Interesting. Okay. Influenced a lot there. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the cast. Yeah. I am really surprised, though, about the that uh, pop music is a staple of Scorsese because I the the soundtrack was very smooth jazz and then like there's only one scene where there's any contemporary song at all this one is super jazzy it's really just that one song too very repetitive i thought there was gonna be more of a cool 70s soundtrack yeah and there wasn't um i guess that must come more from the other movies like when i think of his pop soundtracks i'm usually like goodfellas or even the departed has a lot of that yeah that's fair yeah so yeah, yeah but yes cast ready okay um well we did get young robert de niro we sure did and how do you look as a young man he was more handsome than i thought he was gonna be not when he smiles it, he's it, it's a creepy handsome he, right yeah yeah he also has this like sickly pallor he does the whole thing yeah yeah it, it, and it's like the smile never reaches his eyes that was definitely like the very because like the eyes are like the first thing we see, and I remember immediately being like, "I don't, I don't like what's happening here." No, <laughs> no he, he's just a very, very creepy character. Yeah, and yet there's something I, I'm not going to say charismatic, but uh, De Niro does a really good job, I think, of putting you in this dude's headspace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, a little bit about De Niro himself. So this is pretty early in his career. Yeah. He had done The Godfather. Okay. And he'd also been in a previous Scorsese movie called Mean Streets, but still pretty early. Got I mean, it. This so was this like, is pre-Raging Bull. Yes. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, the producers originally wanted Jeff Bridges. Oh, wow. Can you imagine Jeff Bridges in this role? I cannot. Neither can I. And I think Jeff Bridges can do anything. Yeah. He, yeah. Huh. Interesting. I guess it's more like there's this kind of no matter what role he's playing, there's a fundamental decency in Fred Jeff Bridges that kind of comes out. Yeah, yeah. You don't get that here. No, 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 no not no, at all. No. Weirdly enough, um, Schrader, the writer, uh, insisted on picking the cast himself and got his way, which I just mentioned because it's really, really weird for a writer to have yeah, that, that kind seems of clout. Rare. I don't. I, I couldn't find any explanation as to how he was able to dictate terms like that. Yeah, I feel like usually when that happens, it's because they're a writer and director. Yeah, and producer. And, you yeah, know, like someone who's got you know, you know, some kind of clout. Yeah, basically. exactly. Like, hmm. yeah. Uh, so I don't know how that happened, but he made the right decision anyway. Yeah. And then lastly, about De Niro. In order to prepare for the role, he did work as a cabbie in New York City for a while. So, yeah, some of it coming from personal experience. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, Then we got Jodie Foster. We do. Correct prediction. Yeah. Playing uh, Iris Easy Steensma. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? She was acting much more Jodie Foster than I thought she was going to be. And what does that mean? Like... Like, take something like Silence of the Lambs. Like, she is definitely that character. Like, she doesn't feel Jodie Foster to me. She feels like she's, like, that character. Whereas here, I felt like she was just, like, Jodie Foster playing Jodie Foster. And Mm. she did a great job. But they're just, like, I feel like there are just a ton of other movies that I've seen her in. And I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 you're playing the Jodie Foster character. 
Yeah, she is super Jodie Foster in this, I will admit. Yeah, and so that was off-putting, because I thought this was going to be this role where she was just, like, just extremely unlike herself. And so that was weird. Yeah, well, and not just... She's not only very much herself, but she's very much young self. Yeah. So uh, Jodie Foster was actually 12 years old while shooting this movie. Not one of those instances where you get a 20-year-old to play a teenager. She was the same age as her character. That caused a little bit of a... Kerfuffle. Kerfuffle, yeah. Um, They had to get a psychiatrist to check her out and ensure that she wouldn't be psychologically scarred by the the role she was playing interesting yeah i mean i guess this is back in the day when they were more concerned with that kind of stuff maybe i guess i mean that actually seems pretty surprising to me because i feel like usually they're actively destroying the psyche of a young star with no concern for their well-being very true yeah (laughs) they're like you know what you need is some meth to lose some weight here you go honey go smoke some cigarettes too (laughs) (laughs) It'll make you look cooler and older. That's what yeah. you want, isn't oh, it? Oh, are your feet bleeding right now? You shut up and just play the scene again. <laughs> Wear the shoes. <laughs> yeah. Um, she did speak positively about the experience, though, mostly. Um, mostly. Mostly. <laughs> yeah. So we also have Sybil Shepard as Betsy. Yeah. Did not see that coming. Yeah. What'd you think? I thought she did a great job. But I mean, I do think, again, she was like, like that kind of... Um, I don't ever feel impressed by actors or actresses when they're playing expressionless. I'm like, guess what's really easy to play? Not emoting that much. Because mm. <laughs> you don't actually have to make an emotion seem genuine. So she's just, she's very blank faced for a lot of it. She is, but I don't think she's totally emotionless. I think she's just very guarded. Yeah. I mean, she is dealing with Travis Bickle. It's true. I mean, I think she did a great job. She just didn't impress me. Hmm. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Um, we got Harvey Keitel. Yeah. It was a I was expecting him to be in the movie much earlier. Yeah, he's not really in it very much at he all. He is not, no. Basically like three scenes, but uh, I think he he brings the sleaze. Oh, he crushed it. <laughs> I mean, he, I think he was the one I was actually the most impressed with. Yeah. Where I was like, oh man, you are like all hustle and all sleaze and I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. You're working it. <laughs> the one scene with him and Jodie Foster, we'll talk about it in a minute, but it is so, it makes your skin crawl so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, uh, Albert Brooks. Yeah. As Tom. As yeah. Tom and his great haircut. Yeah. He's the, he's the, like, the friend of Sybil Shepherd, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, like, kept doubting myself. Like, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Albert Brooks. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, how can you tell when he's hidden behind that giant fro? Yeah. It's impressive. If you didn't know it was the 70s by then. Yeah. That made it very clear. Yeah. Well, and also that suit he's wearing. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's true. But uh, he's good. He's, you know, playing the kind of, like, the weak and effectual friend. Yeah. 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 He's, like, friend-zoned very clearly. But yeah. he is also, he he also did play a good combination, I thought, of both judgy and, and friendly. Mm. Like, you could, you know, like, you could tell he did genuinely think he was superior and he did not necessarily, like, respect a lot of other people. And expected his nerdiness to be admired 
Yeah. And I don't think it's said in the movie what party uh, Palantine mm. is, but just from Albert Brooks's character, I kind of feel like clearly a Republican, right? I don't know. I feel like I don't... I. What were the 70s Democrats and Republicans even like, necessarily? Ugh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, dressing terribly, I yeah. suppose. They'd have that in common. Pretty much. Well, all right. Let's start talking about the plot of this movie. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so we start the movie off and we get the music right away, alternating this like really intense sort of like intro music with that smooth jazz. So smooth. It's really it like And like alter- all sax. Yes. <laughs> with and mixed with all the like the neon lights of New York City. It was very like noirish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, also I, I came across this and it was kinda interesting. The title sequence was by this guy named Dan Perry. Hmm. And you don't often see the title sequence artist called out in a movie, but uh, this guy, I guess, is the one who created the title sequence for Star Wars. Oh, all so, right. Well, yeah. he's he's the king. All right. He yeah. he he's earned it. <laughs> yeah. And um, another uh, prediction you made that turned out to be correct. New York City looked like shit. New York City not only looked like shit, but it was very clear that it is a dangerous, terrible place for you to go to where you will most likely become a prostitute. Yeah, or if not that, at least get sucked down into some kind of horrible, like, crime or something will happen to you. Yeah. Like, it's it's literally hell. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there's there's this sense that he, uh, Travis Bickle is actually in hell during this movie. Yeah, yeah. Which makes it, it's weird because, like, New York City comes across as very scummy and scum of the earth. And like, that is what he keeps highlighting is has his, as his opinion. And I was like almost mad that it kept proving him right. Where I was like, stop (laughs) it. New York city is really nice sometimes guys. (laughs) Well, it is now. Yeah. Um, At the time though, when they were shooting, uh, the city was on the verge of bankruptcy. Really? Yeah. And um, they were shooting in 1975, to which uh, that summer there was a record-breaking heat wave and a sanitation workers strike. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. So it must have smelled horrible. Yeah. Okay. So we meet Travis Bickle. He's a handsome young Vietnam vet. He can't sleep, though. Yeah. So he, uh, he takes a job driving a cab. And he starts keeping some really creepy diaries. Super creepy. I feel like, I mean, not to alienate any listeners who do keep diaries, but something about keeping diaries is a little inherently creepy to me. I guess. I think what made it extra creepy to me was that it had this vague sense that he was writing to someone Hmm. And so it was like, I actually had some doubts. Like, sometimes I wondered, like, are you going to end up, is this going to end up being like a manifesto for your followers or something like that? And that was what gave me the creepy vibe. Like, it was very clear that it it was not completely like, I'm journaling my thoughts because it makes me feel better to journal my thoughts and like get them out on paper. Yeah, yeah. And of course, they're modeling this character on that journaling assassin who tried to kill George Wallace. So, you know, the tone must have come a lot from him. Yeah, the tone is I want to eventually mail this to the like newspapers so they or cops so they can have evidence of 
my genius opinions before my murder spray. Yeah, exactly. What you said about it being basically a draft of a manifesto, I think really comes strongly through. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yes, that does make it a lot worse and a lot creepier. <laughs> but, um, you know, he lives, so he lives in this shitty apartment in terrible 70s New York. Uh, a few 70s things I noticed. Uh, he makes 350 a week. Mm. Pretty good money. Yep. Texas Chainsaw Massacre on the marquee. Yes. Of the movie theater. Yep. Good stuff out there. Yep. And uh, oh, those cars, those boxy, boxy cars. I do not notice cars, oh, so really? I did not notice any of that. I always, they're always like the chief signifier of uh, era for me. Got it. Yeah. I like feel like they're just another appliance, mm. or someone's like, "Here's my washing machine." I'm like, "What color is it? What does it do?" <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that you may have noticed uh, that is also a bit of a era signifier for New York City. A lot of porn theaters. A lot of porn theaters. Yeah. uh, Was it weird that he bought concessions to see a porn movie? Like he spends five minutes picking out like candy and popcorn to go see porn. Is that a thing that people did? I mean, I don't know if it was normal to do that or if that was a thing. But I mean, like... I guess it depends on how long the movie is. I mean, if you've got people sitting there for two hours, you might as well try and make some extra money by giving them some candy or something. People are just going to sit and watch porn for two hours? I mean, maybe people wanted to do some freaky things with food. (laughs) Who knows? Okay, there's an explanation I can buy. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Maybe that butter is real smooth. Ugh. (laughs) Well, um, anyway, so... He meets Betsy, or he starts stalking Betsy, I should say. Oh, yeah. No, you should definitely say that. (laughs) They cannot touch her. He's incredibly creepy, but um, he asks her out on a date successfully. Yeah, that was really upsetting. That was real upsetting. I mean, okay, so when he goes in to ask her out on the date, Mm -hmm. he is obviously very creepy. Yeah. But he's got it a little bit under control. You know, he it it's not it's not coming out the way it starts to come out la- later during their terrible dates. Like yeah. in this first scene, he's strange, but he's got this kind of hyper-focused confidence that I don't know, like I don't know, was that at all appealing or alluring or interesting? Like would this have worked? I mean, I feel like this is the kind of thing that we uh, have trained people to think works in movies. Yeah, yeah, like, but in reality, to me, this is the um, this is the person that a girl says yes to, um, because a yes is less scary than a no. She's afraid. Like, to say yeah, no. like yeah. this is like to me that was the like to me what was surprising was that she then actually went on a date. Like, if someone did that to me, I feel like I would be like. Yes, of course, I'll go out on a date. You're right. But mostly I'm telling you this because please go away. I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but she goes on the date. I know. And so that, like, that's why I found it kind of upsetting where I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, because I, I actually really don't think that would have worked well in real life. And I feel like mm. that gives a really bad impression to audiences of like, okay, like this was definitely the the like, I want to you know, teach people that nice guys finish last, but the confident douchey guys, that's the way to go. Like, that's how you get the chicks. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't wind up working out very well. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and it's interesting because he uses that same style on like a bunch of random chicks before, or not a bunch, but like he tries it on like concession girl. Oh, you're when right. He comes into yeah, the movie theater. Yeah, yeah. And like it, like it's so it's proven. Like to me, her reaction was more normal. Of like, I'm just gonna keep. Like duck bob and weave, duck bob and weave from this conversation, and then oh, thankfully I have a manager I can call over. Yeah, Troy. <laughs> yeah, Troy. Um, and, and actually, to your point too about training people about what's you know supposed supposed to be effective, while Travis is flirt quote unquote yeah. flirting yeah. with Betsy, Tom, the Albert Brooks character, is kind of hovering in the background. But the juxtaposition to them, it's meant to be that, like, Travis is, for all his flaws, presented as being kind of, like, masculine and has some kind of weird charisma, whereas Tom is sort of coded as being, like, weak, ineffectual, maybe a little effeminate. Yeah. Maybe even part of Petsy's reasoning is that she's, like, sick of dealing with guys like Tom and, like, just the fact that this is a a contrast. I don't know, but. Yeah. Well, and he keeps, and he highlights, like. A truth, which is that, like, this guy doesn't respect you, which I think is true. But what's weird is, like, he gives zero impression, I think, that he respects her as well. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. like, zero men in your life, Betsy, currently respect you, it appears. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it comes down to the fact, what's the line he says to her? It's not even really, it's a, not a line per se, but it's an observation where he's like, I'm lonely, and so it means I can see that you're lonely too. Mm-hmm. That could have been the moment where, you know, if, you know, I, I am assuming that that was true and that she felt like that, you know, he must, he sees me. Right. You know, maybe that's it. But it, of course, it does raise the question of like, how long have you been watching me to know this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that to me was just a major disconnect because there was nothing believable to me about her saying yes. Yeah. Well, uh, I share your criticism. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to the movie's credit, it doesn't work out great between them. They go on the world's most awkward date. Yeah. Well, first they go on the world's most awkward date, and then she agrees to a second one. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess he doesn't completely blow it on that first date. I mean, I feel like he kind of does. Like, he very clearly, I think, demonstrates that he doesn't care about anything that she cares about, does not necessarily have... Uh, like, he's just not on her same page in any way, shape, or form. So, like, I don't see what she sees in him in that date. Like, he doesn't he doesn't earn his confidence in, in that. Mm-hmm. Well, then, of course, it, um, it leads to that horrible second date. But before yeah. we get to that one, we get a couple of things that happen in between. Number one, we meet uh, candidate Palantine, who goes for yeah. riding the cab. Yeah. And um, he goes on one of these cabbie rants that's very distressing. And like, if you're listening to this, you feel like, oh, my God, this guy's not entirely put together. I've I've heard these. I've taken cab rides where this has happened to me. Mm -hmm. You know, this is there's a lot of things in this movie that I feel like update the technology and the fashion. And this could just as easily be happening right now. Oh, it was super upsetting how relevant it still was. Yeah, right? Especially because I was not expecting a politics angle to this at all. I was, and so like, there, like, that part was 
very freaky. And so this movie became freaky poignant. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially with like, I, you know, politicians kind of encouraging behavior. And in, and in this movie, like, you just couldn't tell what direction he was gonna go in. Like, kill enemies or kill friends. Like, I don't, like, you, who knows? Like, he's clearly building up to be ready to pop at any moment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But I mean, like, you know, I I genuinely did not know if he was going to try and kill the senator or if he was going to try and kill people who didn't like the senator. Like I was yeah. I was like could go either way. And it did. Yeah. Ultimately, yeah. Yeah. Um this is also the moment where we get our first Jodie Foster sighting yep. about 30 minutes into the film. She hops in his cab trying to flee, but he doesn't react fast enough, so she gets pulled on out yep. by Harvey Keitel, but mm-hmm. we'll see her again. We sure will. So Worst date ever, take two. Yeah. Takes her to a porno movie. Takes her to a porno, which honestly, like, I mean, first of all, like nowadays, like, I mean, hell, go for it. Like, you know, tell me you're taking me to a porno. Bold move, buddy. I'll give it a try. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Because, um, you know, I'm a woman. See, uh... I've got sexuality. I like porn. And there's nothing wrong with that. Let's go see Sometime Sweet Susan. Yeah. But in this scenario, I mean, clearly the girl who dresses all in white and is like very obviously virginal is not going to be impressed. She's a classy dame. With your sexy movies. Also, I think don't um don't spring the porn movie. Yeah, never spring a porn. Yeah, you don't want to surprise porn. Yeah. It it don't don't surprise someone with pornography. And also, this was a weird porn. Oh, like, was it? <laughs> it was, yeah, because like it was, it was like half sex ed, half porn. Yeah, because there's this moment where it's like this is an ovum, this is a you know, a, I don't know. It was like this is an internal organ, this is this internal organ, and it was like, oh, but now here's people fucking. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's a real, real movie too. So. I mean, it's not a great porn, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it- some great porns in my day. That's not one of them. Oh, yeah, so much great porn, including a few starring James Dean, Star of the Canyons, directed by Paul Schrader. Apparently. But so anyway, so this time she figures it out. This guy is not great dating material. Yeah. And uh, she doesn't want to ever see him again. Which, I mean, I'm actually glad that she got to that conclusion because I wanted that to be the conclusion. But I actually was kind of mad that that was how we got there, where I was like, I mean, if you do like a guy... And you are interested in him and you do let him take you on a date. Like, I mean, I'll, uh, allow him to explain himself for doing a dumbass move. Hmm. I mean, the problem in this scenario is that, like, they never should have been on a date in the first place. So I was like, on board, get right. rid of him. I'm fine with you being like, I'll stick up your ass mad at him for this. But, like, in reality, if you genuinely were interested in a person, just give them a chance to explain themselves at least. And then if you don't like their explanation, you can tell them to go fuck themselves. Yeah, that actually, uh, when she's storming away from him and he's trying to explain, I actually did feel like it was a little bit sad, sort of in the pathetic sense, because what he keeps saying is like, I don't know, you know, I don't know movies, I don't know music, and he's been saying all this the whole time. 
And it's it, it, there's almost sort of like a sad puppy element to him where like he just he literally doesn't know how humans interact. Yeah. And he's trying and he's messing it up, but he just he just genuinely doesn't know what people want. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't clear enough in his character. Like, I agree with you that that's what they were going for. But I definitely like. Like, because they just they don't make him like dumb and endearing enough in the beginning and like or confused enough about social interactions in a way that makes me then feel like, oh, honey, you don't you don't understand that porn is wrong to bring a first date to. But like, I, I understood that that was what they wanted us to think. And in which case, yeah, then I, you know, like, then I do feel really bad because like, it just explained to him why this is inappropriate because he doesn't get it. And that's sweet. But like, I, I just didn't believe it enough hmm. where I was like, I don't know, I kind of feel like you're there's certain things you're doing that aren't working and this is like an escalation of 18 of them so if they're not working like why like i don't know i don't buy that you don't know that this was inappropriate hmm. well that was a story anyway. yeah no and yeah. no and it was a good and it was a good believable story i mean from a writing perspective and it I just mean, didn't filter through my emotions that's that's fine yeah that's fair and even, you know, even if I felt a moment of uh, sympathy for him in that moment, it does not last because then, of course, no. he starts stalking her. For sure. Showing up at her work, More too, and freaking out. stalking her. <laughs> Sending her flowers she doesn't want. Yeah. He's got a bunch of bouquets, like, piled up in his house that, that she sent back. That was one shot I actually really liked was, like, this, like, panning over the, like, fresh flowers to slowly decaying, dying flowers of, like, here are all the flowers I've tried and how they have not worked out. Yeah. And also, like, it represents their relationship. Yeah. But also, dude, get the hint. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, eventually he does, right? Because, um, he starts, um, Kind of trying to, to to train himself to accomplish something. Yes. You know, he, he takes on this mantra, you're only as healthy as you feel. Is that is that what he says? Yeah, something like, something that? like that. Yeah, while we're seeing a shot of him, like, burning himself on purpose. Yeah, and also <laughs> 50 push-ups a day, 50 pull-ups a day. It's like this weird self-help thing, but to what end, right? Yeah. There's this... Even though it's a, it's like a healthy thing to do is to get sure. in shape and stuff. There's a slightly um, disquieting intensity about what the end game is. Yeah, all healthy things can be done in unhealthy ways, and yeah. he definitely pulled that off. Right. And it was interesting that while he's doing those push-ups, I thought like you see just this like vague shot of like a huge weird scar on his back. Yeah. Which I, you know, like, which gave me this moment of being like, maybe I would care a little bit more if I knew more about his backstory, if I knew what his brought him. His literal backstory? Like, his, ha, 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 Sorry. Ah, yeah, that was nicely done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, but yes, exactly. Because to me, it's still not 100% clear, like, am I supposed to like him? See, I don't, I don't think you were supposed to like him, uh, and and so uh, this is kind of like similar to what I was saying about the movie, where like it's easy to admire but hard to like. It, with Travis Bickle, I feel like, and I could be wrong, but the sense I got is that you're meant to feel empathy for him, in that you're supposed to like feel 
the craziness of his headspace. But mm-hmm. empathy is not supposed to mean sympathy. You know, it's it's more yeah. just it is a it's a character study, and they're trying to do a really good well-drawn character study but of a reprehensible human being yeah so you're not supposed to like him or you know sympathize with his motives you're just supposed to basically understand a little bit where he's coming from maybe feel what he feels and just Mm -hmm. get it without condoning it the reason i ask is for two reasons okay reason number one is I couldn't remember if Scorsese was one of those directors that like later turns out to be a total creep show. But I think that was just was that I mean that was definitely Polanski. But I couldn't remember if it was Scorsese as well. In which case then I was like, oh maybe he doesn't understand what's not creepy in a human being. <laughs> as far as I know, Scorsese has never had anything like that come out about him. Okay. But there is this thing about him and the movies that he makes. Uh, I was going to bring this up later, but I think this is a good place to talk about it. Um, this uh, this movie critic named Genevieve Kosky mm. brought this up, that he's um, particularly prone to what she calls the American psycho effect, referencing the book and the movie, yeah, where yeah. Um, his movies, they depict crime and crime lords and like in the wolf of wall street people who have committed terrible frauds and like they always have an element of the the good times the great times how seductive this lifestyle is and then later on they show it all falls apart and like all the damage and everything bad that comes from it interesting but a lot of people love those movies because they're just all about how, like, badass those criminals are, man. Or, like, look at how rich the guy in Wolf of Wall Street is, man. Like, people love his movies for the wrong reasons. Yeah. They take the wrong lesson from it. Yeah. And I yeah. don't like those movies. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, there's an element to where you're wondering, like, how much is this celebrating all the success and yeah. all this violence yeah. and all this stuff? I think he's trying to paint it as, like, a... You know, especially given Scorsese's religious motivations, uh, I feel like he's he's showing how tempting these things are and how mm, seductive before mm. showing the the horrible end results. But people n- tend not to remember those second halves of the movie, right? Where things fall apart. Yeah. So he gets you know you get these frat boys with pick you know posters of Travis Bickle on the wall because they love how badass he is with the gun and you talking to me and all right, that stuff. Right. Without thinking about, you know, the movie's actually about how he's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Same with the Wolf of Wall Street guy. Yeah. So, you know, I, that's, you know, that's yeah. what she said. And I, I feel like it's accurate. But, that makes um, sense. Yeah. yeah. The Yeah. So the second reason that I that I asked was because of what I would call like the Rocky effect. Okay. Which is like when I watch Rocky, I like... I actually like genuinely feel all of those emotions where like I love Rocky and he's so endearing and he's just this big, like cute, lovable, clumsy oaf. And, um, you know, and you're supposed to like him and he's, you know, he like that's what you're supposed to do. But then like nowadays, like I'll listen to, you know, like feminist theory or like film theory and like look at the movie and their take on the movie and they're like, oh, no, like, he won't take no for an answer. He's also kind of stalkery. He's also kind of, like, all up in, you know, like, we're supposed to, you know, believe that he loves her and that she loves him, even though, like, you know, he basically is, like, exactly, you know, is doing all kind of the same things that they say that 
or that Travis Spickle blatantly does. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, but I love Rocky. (laughs) And so that was the other thing where I wasn't sure, like, is this just like a sign of the times? Like, were we supposed to like him? And I just don't like him now because of kind of the, you know, where we've come with like (laughs) being progressive on like women's rights or whatever. Like, is this kind of a... Am I seeing it through a different lens, basically? Because I was like, maybe we're supposed to like those guy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we are. Okay, you know, good. And it goes beyond his treatment of women too. I mean, he's a racist. Oh, super racist. Homophobic. Yes, uh, but again, I couldn't tell. Is that just the seventies? I mean, obviously, it's still going on today, which you know right. is part of the whole relevancy. But like, sometimes it's hard to know the context of the movie because, like. You know, the 70s making a movie where someone, you know, hates uh, black people is not that crazy. Oh, it, uh, absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're... So it's like, no, no, no. We expected you to love this racist, this racist that uh, stalks and, you know, is like super creepy with women. No, no, no. What, right, what yeah. are you talking about? No, you're in, you're in very, very sound <laughs> footing here yeah. in, in raising that. Um I mean, I so uh, Quentin Tarantino, uh, in prepping for this, I listened to a little thing with him talking about that. And granted, he's got problems of his own oh, in his movies. What, his argument was basically straight to that, which is that he felt that the filmmakers don't intend to have their perspective be the same as Travis Bickle's. It's a move. It's not a racist movie. It is a movie about a racist person. Mm-hmm. So I, I tend to kind of agree with that. But, you know... The fact of the era that it's made, as you say, it gives me an extra bit of pause. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So I, I, I think it's worth keeping a critical eye on this and yeah. ke- keeping an open mind that maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I don't like him. So if that was their intention, then they did a great job. Okay. I think like ultimately, I think that's the question. Like, did they do a great job or not? Because if their goal was to make me think he was an appalling human being... Nailed it. Mission accomplished. If their yeah. goal was to make me like, yeah, like sympathize with him, empathize with him, you know, value him in any subtle way whatsoever. Nope, missed the boat. <laughs> Let me um, let's put a pin in this for a second. There's one more element or sort of factor that happens at the end that mm, um, yeah, good call. I want I want to analyze a little bit and see if maybe it provides a little bit more clarity. Okay, cool. So uh, let, let's loop back to that. So um. Okay. Yeah, where were we? What's where happening? Where were we indeed? Oh, Harvey, Harvey Keitel. Oh, well, actually, um, oh, we no, haven't not. met him properly yet. We haven't yet. met him This yet. is where we get the Martin Scorsese cameo scene where oh, yeah. he drops the N-bomb a bunch of times yeah. and talks about murdering his wife. Yeah. Which is, I, I'm not entirely sure what the point of the scene is other than to just have it be like, this is what his nights are like. I felt like the point of it was to Give him, like, here are some great ideas for you. Murder. Yeah. And here's someone who would really value and be excited by murder. And I think we can all agree his wife deserves it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I felt like that whole scene was for him. Because, like, that's when he then is like, get a gun. Right, 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 right. Okay. It's the same gun that he requests when he's at the gun buyer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that scene is for his inspiration. Yeah. Um, That being said, too, we talked about how so much of the movie could happen today. Uh, Martin Scorsese's little like rant diatribe in the backseat of the car. I was like, 
this is just a Twitter rant yeah. nowadays. Like I could eat like word for word. You put this in a tweet storm of someone melting down on Twitter. I, I, we, we see this now. Yeah. No, what's hilarious is that there are movies that I specifically was like, I'm not going to do that one because I don't want to get into politics. <laughs> and then to watch this movie and be like, oh, well, boy, did I miss the boat on that one. Yeah, it's, it's a little <laughs> sadly too relevant. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But hey, on the plus side, Jodie Foster's back. Yeah. Um, although only briefly, he sort of semi-stalks her a little bit. Sure does. Yeah. But uh, then he goes to buy some guns. Yep. And um, once again, weirdly relevant that you've got this guy who's clearly gearing up to do something crazy and it's super easy for him to buy guns. Yeah. Actually, it's probably easier to buy guns now. Like, you don't have to go through this rigmarole with like a, you know, a dealer, go to a gun show. Yeah. You know, yeah. You don't even have to like pretend to go to a hotel room to buy guns. I think you could just do that on the street. Yeah. And, um. I do want I do want to call out the gun seller though is for being a real go getter. Really, I, you know, he was one of the only characters I was impressed with. I was like, "You're doing a great job. You really do sell these well." He sold the hell out of those guns, he and then when we were, they were done, he was like, "Hey, can I get you any drugs? Can I get you a Cadillac?" Which I have to say, like, I think he really understood his client to a certain extent. I mean, like, it didn't work out ultimately. But, like, I think he was like, I'm seeing clear signs here that you might super want drugs mm-hmm. and or a hot car. And I don't think he was, you know, I, I don't think that was an unfounded belief. Yeah. He was an entrepreneur. He was an entrepreneur. It's the American dream. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so um, so Travis keeps training. He's gained some purpose. He even scopes out the rally. He does. Has a quick talk with the Secret Service. Yeah. Who, um... Don't immediately arrest him. Yeah, they don't seem great at their job. No. Um, but um, And this is where, too, we get the quote that you thought might be in this movie. I did. And it is. Do you yeah. want to try and do it? Oh, uh, am I me? Yeah. Okay. Give it a go. I mean, are you, are you talking to me? Are you, are you talking to me? I don't, I don't see anyone else here. So you must be talking to me. Not bad. Thanks. Yeah. Did it hold up? Yeah, line. yeah. No, it it um it was definitely a very impactful scene for sure. Um I did genuinely think it was raging bull that he did that in. And so but I mean I I started having some suspicions because there was a lot of mirror shots and mm-hmm. I knew that that famous quote happened with him talking to himself right. or like a character talking to themselves. So I was starting to get the impression that maybe it would actually be there. Uh, fun thing about that, apparently uh, Robert De Niro improv that line. Oh, nice. Yeah, the, the direction was just Travis talks to himself in the mirror, and he just came up with that. Oh, I like that. That's yeah. cool. Super quoted. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is baffling. Like, I definitely walked away from that movie being like, I don't see anything in this movie that should have been quoted for all of filmmaking <laughs> eternity. So it's super weird, but okay. It's a cool line. I, don't I know. mean, I guess. You know, if you're acting tough, well, you talking to me? Yeah. Are you talking to me? Ugh, I can't do yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I, yeah. I don't have a good De Niro impression. But I guess it was fun that I finally have seen in real life an iconic scene. Uh, speaking of iconic, I asked you while you were watching, but um, did you recognize the spring gun that he has in the his sleeve? The thing that's you know, shoots it out into his hand? I I mean, I I didn't as something significant okay 
Because that um, that's a, it's sort of similar to the line. I mean, obviously, it's not as big or as iconic as the line, but it's they're a little associated, and it's another one of those things from this movie that people tend to remember. I feel like I tend to associate spring weaponry with killing vampires. Rightly so. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the series premiere of Angel, I'm assuming. Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, which one were you thinking I, of? I mean, I was thinking of, like, you know, Buffy or a Buffy movie or, like, Lost Boys. I mean, mm. I've actually, you know, I was like... All quality. I was like, they they all must have those things. I don't know, Monster Squad even, maybe? Well, It's um, been a while since I've seen Monster Squad. You ever see the show Justified? Oh, yeah. I think I saw the first episode. Oh, the first episode is super good, as is the show. Uh, there's a character in one season who has that exact thing. He has the, the rolly spring gun in his sleeve. And the moment I saw it, I was like, you know, number one, you took that from Taxi Driver. But two, why don't more people do that? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty effective. I feel like, I, yeah, I would be like, oh, you took that from Angel. I would be more apt to say that. Yeah. Justified's great, by the way. Okay, good to know. Um, So... Travis stops a holdup. Yep. And the violence in that scene was really intense. And upsettingly casual. Yeah. Like, there is no repercussion whatsoever. It's just murder a guy, and then like, yo, you've got this? Oh, yeah, don't worry about it. I'll take care of this for you later. And now I'm going to savagely beat to make sure that he is dead. I mean, if he wasn't dead, he's definitely dead now. I think it was even worse than that. I think it was just to be sadistic. Not yeah. just to finish him off, but just to hurt him. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I had forgotten that scene, so that I was a little caught off guard by it while we were watching. Yeah. Yeah. Then we get, uh, you know, more of him being isolated, and we get the scene of him rocking the TV, where he's yeah. just watching it and rocking it, and then eventually it goes too far. Um. Some people point to that as being like a great scene and it just shows how sort of like far gone he is. To me, it always spoke to basically how little good TV there used to be. Yeah, that's fair. I'd wreck my TV too. Yeah. Whatever the hell he was watching, it looked like crap. It did. Yeah, I mean, like that scene to me kind of felt like uh, unnecessary. Like I was like, I, I was like, if you think I didn't think he was like this already... Like, you're crazy. Like, I, I mean, there was nothing that that scene amped up for me. Mm, it was just more information of what you already knew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I think that I think I would agree. That's a fair point. I, I kind of know what he's about at that point. Yeah. The movie's a little too long. It's a little too long. And I feel like it was scenes like that where I was just kind of like, okay. Yeah. And I know, you know, especially back then, all these movies tend to, especially with a character study movie like this, it's about like marinating in it and the ambiance and yeah. like the feeling you know like you said he wants it to feel like a dream that you're trapped in and i get that but it just there's another scene like that too that goes on too long that i'll mention but um anyway we finally run back into jodie foster yeah the movie picks up steam again and he buys a date with her yeah what always stood out to me from the first time i watched this was her cigarette timer how she lights a cigarette i wondered that and she's like when this runs out you're out of time yeah, I kept, I was completely distracted by that. I was like, have you timed this previously? Do you buy a particular brand of cigarettes specifically brand, yeah. for the five minute timer piece? Did you only take a certain amount of a puff off of it in the first time? Like, I was like, this is a fascinating timer. And also, if I'm one of your tricks, I'm going to be like, bitch, no. 
I'm sorry, but how do I know that's not a fast cigarette? Like right. you're going to I'm going to time using a fucking clock and I get my full fucking 15 minutes. Damn straight. <laughs> I mean, if I'm buying a prostitute, I get my money's worth. <laughs> oh, and she's expensive too. What was it like $15 plus $10 for the rooms? That's 25 bucks in 1976 money. I was genuinely upset that he was then charged 10 bucks for a room. A I was rip. like, I was like, no, 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 no. That does not mean that the prostitute's 15 bucks then. It should be clear. This prostitute's $25. 15 to fucker and $10 for the room. Well, I'm starting to suspect it might not be an honest business. <laughs> I mean, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what a racket. What is happening to good prostitution these days? <laughs> you know, this used to be about relationships. Yeah. It used to be about family. Yeah. Um, but um, it's an interesting conversation they have. Yeah. I mean, made a lot weirder by the fact that she's 12 and literally 12. Yeah. Um. But, um, you know, at least he doesn't sleep with her. I guess. Give him credit for that. There are guys in this movie who do. No, fair. That's very fair. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Well, anyway, so they go to breakfast. Uh, She gets up at one. Yep. So they go to breakfast at one, and uh, she's really into her zodiac signs. (laughs) She is very into zodiac signs. And yeah, and that whole scene, like... She was just distractingly Jodie Foster. She looks the most like Jodie Foster in that scene, I think. Yeah. I too. feel like that movie probably, maybe that movie seems better and her acting seems better because you hadn't seen her before. Or if you had seen her, you only saw her in like, I don't know, like Bugsy Malone or whatever that, like, whatever her first movie was. Yeah. Maybe something. this was her first movie. But yeah, like. she in stuff. She, yeah. But like maybe if I hadn't seen Jodie Foster before, I would be like, whoa, oh my goodness, I love this character she's doing. But then you learn that's just her in like a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, it's it's a ver- it's a great deal of like, the acting is very confident for such a young actress and to be playing a role like that too. Yeah. You know, it, I don't know, I think it's impressive for a child actor. For sure, yeah. for sure. I mean, often, though, I would say a lot of child actors are better as children than they are (laughs) as adults. Like, I kind of would argue that it's easier to kind of let yourself go and, like, dive into a character in certain ways when you're you have fewer inhibitions. And I mean, because she didn't even hit puberty yet, necessarily. Mm. I guess if she was 12, she would have or maybe she was on the cusp. Depends on how depends on whether she was an early or a late bloomer. I don't understand how bodies work. So, I understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wouldn't know. Yeah. I'm just saying age 12, she may or may not have menstruated yet. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> That'll be in the promo reel for this, uh, for this episode. Nailed yeah. it. Nailed it. <laughs> um, another thing, too, I just noticed about her character, and I hope this is on purpose and not a continuity mistake. She comes in wearing these funky green sunglasses, Yeah, puts them down, and then puts on funky blue sunglasses (laughs) (laughs) it was just such a cute little moment i just really liked it i don't know but um you do get a strong sense of her immaturity yeah it really highlighted her youth in a in the way that i think it was supposed to highlight her youth yeah well so speaking of that the next scene we get pretty much is the one of the very few scenes in this movie that's not directly from Travis Bickle's perspective, and I might add. And that majorly threw me off. And I actually, like, it was that scene that kind of then made me wonder, like, 
is Scorsese that great of a director? Because I was like, this is a really weird direction choice because I've been very, uh, like, I would have complimented the movie previously for us being so steeped in this one perspective and to then throw in this very, like, out of nowhere, he has nothing to do with this and we're not seeing anything through his eyes. I was like, I don't understand this. Like, yeah. why is this happening? So uh, the scene is um, Sport the Pimp and Iris talking, and it's some real classic pimp shit. Like, very he's, classic. he's talking like... You know, oh, you know, I pimp you out because I love you yeah, and I need creepy. you in my life. You're most so important. I don't know what I'd do without you. And of course, this is like a grown man talking to a 12 year old girl. Yeah, no, that's, it's, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's, it's like all of the classic lines. And if you want someone to be super creepy, Harvey Keitel is always a great go to. So good at it. So good at it. Like crazy good at it. Yeah. I, I thought it was an amazing performance. Oh, I agree 100%. Yeah. Um, but so, but to talk about what you were saying, I, I feel like what must have happened is that they must have known that they were breaking their, like, you know, conceit of it all being Travis Bickle's perspective. But the scene was so good. They were, yeah. they just threw up their hand. You know, they're just like, we have no choice. The scene is so not only good, but kind of important because it's one of the only scenes that gives you very much insight into her situation and why she might be staying. Mm. Plus like really firmly establishing what a sleazy piece of garbage Harvey Keitel is mm -hmm. and wanting to see him die. Sure. I mean, I didn't not think that previously. Yeah, true. And I mean, I agree. It's it's an amazing scene because it is so beautifully like intense and creepy. But yeah, it really does throw off kind of what seemed to me like you know the the voice of the movie and so yeah. it really seemed i don't know like a bad directorial call hmm. travis tries to murder that politician yep and this is where we get him with that mohawk yeah so you were saying you thought he'd always have it i thought he was gonna have it for most of the movie and that is also why i think i was extra surprised by the soundtrack because I legitimately thought this movie was going to have like a 70s, like punk rock. Oh, wow. Like soundtrack vibe. Oh, this was way different from way what you expected. Different. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, the smooth jazz was <laughs> real weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was strange to me that it was just this one scene that he, because it's a look. Oh, yeah. And I just kind of thought he was going to have the look for maybe not the whole thing, but for like more of it. Like, it's not like when he hopped on screen, I was immediately like, where's your mohawk? But like, I thought the mohawk was going to become a thing earlier. Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess it's more just like his getting ready for action look. Yeah. But he winds up failing. The Secret Service are actually on top of their shit today. Thank goodness. And they, they scare him off. So he goes to plan B, kill pimps. Yeah. And so this is um, this is kind of looping back a little bit. So we get this um, incredibly violent scene. Yeah. And the violence is horrifying. Yeah. And, and uh, poor Iris is exposed to all of it. She's yeah. you know in the room crying, begging for him to stop, and he just keeps killing these dudes in some pretty horrific ways. Yeah. And he gets shot up like hell too. Oh, big time. So. In this scene, um, and this is another critic, uh, Scott Tobias pointed this out, so this is, is not coming from me, but mm. um, he mentioned how Travis Bickle is the kind of person 
who sees no distinction between a politician and a pimp. Yeah. If he can't get to the one, he will just as easily go kill the other. Mm -hmm. But society sees a difference. So the attempted killing of one, they frown on that. But he kills all of these pimps in this bloody, horrific massacre, and he's actually, like, rewarded. He's a hero. Yeah. You know, and so his, uh, Scott Tobias's view is that, you know, this is a bit of a comment on us, or society at the time anyway, that, like, we have this clearly reprehensible person who makes none of these distinctions, but because through sheer happenstance, yeah. managed to kill the people we want dead, we're going to raise him up as some kind of hero. Yeah. So No, that was definitely a surprising turn and was very interesting. Yeah. I mean, and it, it it was made very clear throughout the movie that, like, there was us and them from, you know, from Travis, that, like, that was his mentality. Like, there was, there was scum and then there was not scum. And I feel like it was particularly telling when, you know, like, when he talks about um, Betsy – like no longer liking him and no and like kind of rejecting him like he talks about like okay now she's she's she, with the scum she joined scum the now. scum yeah. yeah um and so i mean it definitely was not surprising that he was easily able to pivot from like uh, murder this person versus murder this person just like he was very easy to pivot from like save this woman save this woman save this woman like he's just kind of desperately looking for someone to be part of the the us and, you know, and Iris just happened to conveniently not piss him off enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, I mean, she definitely would have because eventually, like, if nothing yeah. had happened, she would have stayed with that pimp, I think, for sure. And he would have been mad at her and she would have become scum. Yeah. Uh, his issues with women run incredibly deep. Oh, for sure. But yeah, it, it, I, I like that kind of tip about the the sort of the way society kind of views it, like that he happened to kill the right people. The right people. Yeah. Yeah. And I so, mean, I was very surprised that that, that that was how the movie turned. It's a real left turn, right? It's a real it's, left turn. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting it the first time I saw it. Yeah. But I, I do think it goes towards what maybe the filmmaker's intentions are, because we're supposed to be surprised and maybe a little disgusted by the fact that that's how it turned out. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. I, um, I think they could have hit it a little harder. Hmm. The, you know, because the... For a combination of reasons. One, because, you know, I, I feel like I could have then been, like, really creeped out and, like, even more creeped out or even more emotionally upset because – and then I would have felt more confident of, like, oh, you didn't want me to like this person. Okay, I feel great about this. But then the other thing that was weird to me that made it so that it didn't hit as hard was – this weird undertone to the letter that her parents wrote. Oh my god, I want to talk about this. Okay, you go, you go first because like it, the language reminded me so much of his fake anniversary card to his parents. Wow, I did not get that. That's great. That I yeah. So I was kind of like, I mean, so like until they actually invited him over to their home, I was like, are they completely bullshitting him in the same way he's bullshitting his parents? Yeah, well, okay, so my feeling about that letter has always been that something about the tone and the word choice, It and I have nothing to go on beyond the fact that this is the feeling I get, mm -hmm. I always suspected that the father is abusing her. Oh, yeah. And that that's why she ran away in the first place. I mean, it's it, it seems... I mean, when she's talking about how her parents hate her, like... I mean, to me, 
that's the reason, you know, that's the, like, logic behind, like, I, like, uh, oh, I think my parents hate me is not enough reason to run away and become a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like, usually, prostitution is an escape from something. Right. So, uh, you know, or just a very lucrative business. Sure. Oh, Either yeah, of those two. Totally. Yeah. Diary of a Call Girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, and, you know, I, I think what you said about it mirroring his bullshit letter uh, I, I think maybe supports that. I don't know. But yeah, I think we both agree that there's something up with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Something's wrong there. But so that that diminished that like creepy hero pivot. Well, he he still gets to be a hero no matter how it works out for Iris. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and in fact, potentially even, you know, intrigues his original love interest. Oh, yeah. Betsy comes back. Betsy comes back. I mean... She's already scum, so like obviously yeah, he's, he's not going to give her the time of day. Not interested anymore. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but get out of my cab, bitch. But I mean, like that's sad. <laughs> yeah. Because if I were Betsy, I would never get into a cab with him, ever. <sighs> well, you know, <laughs> we've already gone over how weird her decision making is. Super weird. Um, I also want to. The letter might smell like bullshit too, but one line from it I keep coming back to is a. Uh, uh, Iris is back in school. Uh, the adjustment has been a little difficult. I'm like, she's back in school. Yeah. Like after all this girl has gone through. Yeah. Like the adjustment is difficult. Yeah. Jesus Christ. She's seen more in 12 years than I've seen in, I'm not going to say how old I am. For sure. But more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But God damn. Yeah. No, I mean, she definitely has some PTSD for sure. She's going to be in therapy yeah. for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, well, so anyway, so yeah, so long story short, he's a hero. Betsy shows up one more time. Yep. He doesn't care. He drops her off and drives off into the night, presumably maybe to start the cycle all over again? Question mark? Question mark. Yeah. And that's that's our movie. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to go, like, it's not like you, you walk away being like, this guy turned a leaf. Now he's a hero. He got everything he wanted. Like, no, no. Like, no, you're he, still a psycho. He's he's a volcano that erupted, and now the pressure is just going to start to build again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, one last prediction that you had that I don't think actually turned no, out to be true was not that uh, Jodie Foster was never punished for being a prostitute. I mean, unless you do, in fact, buy into her father was abusing her, and then she is technically punished. But yeah, yeah no. But that's not for being a prostitute. That's fair. That's for that's being fair. a young woman. No, she she has actually a much kinder trajectory than I was expecting from a prostitute in a 70s movie. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, yeah, she's uh, not beaten even once, and I was very shocked by that. I'm cool with that choice. I mean, I'm happy about it. I'm just <laughs> saying I didn't think the 70s had it in them. Yeah. Oh, way to go, Scorsese. Way to go, Scorsese. Score one for Scorsese. <laughs> so a little bit as a post-movie wrap-up, let's talk about how this movie did. Oh, okay. So it had a budget of $1.9 million. Mm-hmm. Not a big budget, even in 1970s yeah, money. Yeah, fair enough. You want to take a stab at how much it made? Let's go with fifty million. Not quite. It made twenty-eight point three million dollars. Mm, bad. But that was enough to make it the seventeenth-highest-grossing movie of the year. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, seventies money again. Yeah, in, in today's money, that's eighty-seven trillion dollars. I think <laughs> given inflation. <laughs> oh, yeah. money! I yeah. don't understand how you work. It's simple <laughs> economics, son. <laughs> I don't, don't understand it. it at all. All yeah. right. It won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Mm, okay. 
And it got uh, four Oscar nominations. Interesting. Best Lead Actor for De Niro. Mm -hmm. Best Supporting Mm -hmm. Actress for Jodie Foster Mm -hmm. at 12. Mm -hmm. Best Score and Best Picture. And it didn't win any. Mm -hmm. Jodie Foster did win a BAFTA, though. Oh, nice. Oh. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hate the Oscars and think they're made up bullshit. And so I'm completely fine with this. Win an Oscar, don't win an Oscar, it means nothing. Yeah, I mean, I basically agree. Although basically, you know, if it's like a movie or a person that I like, I'm always happy to hear that they won. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I like when, yeah, I like when people I like do well. And I like when people I don't like don't do well. Oh, I love that. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's also made up. Yeah. 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 Award shows for subjective stuff. No. Nope. Um, so for reviews, speaking of uh, subjective yeah. stuff, it's got a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 93% audience score. Mm-hmm. Here are a few of the positive reviews. Okay, interesting. Roger Ebert said, Taxi Driver is a hell, from the opening shot of a cab emerging from Stygian clouds of steam to the climactic mm. killing spree in which the camera finally looks straight down. Mm. Scorsese wanted to look away from Travis's rejection. We almost want to look away from his life. But he's there, all right, and he's suffering. Mm-hmm. Ebert also mm-hmm. said it was one of the greatest films he'd ever seen. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Pauline Kael. No other film has ever dramatized urban indifference so powerfully. Interesting. At first here, it's horrifyingly funny, then just horrifying. Oh, that's upsetting. That sh- someone thought this was horrifyingly funny. Only at, at first. any point. At any point (laughs) she also uh followed up on this kind of quasi-religious thing we were talking about so uh about travis bickle he hates new york with a biblical fury Mm, it gives off the stench of hell and its filth and smut obsess Mm -hmm. him Mm -hmm. his eruption of violence while being depicted as cathartic is because the city is crazier than he is (laughs) okay yeah, man, people did not like cities back then. They, they really didn't. Jesus Christ. Nope. Um, and then Tarantino said uh, it's one of his top five favorite movies, and it's a great first-person character study. So, mm-hmm. um, And, you know, we talk more about his perspective. On the negative side. Okay. Rather famously, Leonard Malton didn't like this movie. <gasps> Leonard. I love Leonard Malton. He gave it two out Sometimes. of four stars. <laughs> well, I, you might okay. agree with him on this one. Okay. He called it. Uh, so he gave it two stars. He called it a gory, cold-blooded story of a sick man's lurid descent into violence, which was ugly and unredeeming. Leonard, you and I are BFFs. <laughs> I don't know if I go quite that far, but I think there's a kernel of truth in it. And then a little bit about the legacy. So... Uh, the violence was heavily commented upon at the time. Mm-hmm. Movie nearly got a an X rating. Oh, uh, Scorsese had to desaturate the colors to reduce how bright the red blood was everywhere. Interesting, and that got him down to R. Similar tactic Tarantino, hmm. interestingly, wound up later using with Kill Bill. Uh, the first Kill Bill movie was going to get an X rating. So he just took the bloodiest scene and put it in black and white. Hmm, interesting. So really, the problem isn't violence. It's the color red. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I feel like the movie was so then desaturated. Like, I definitely noticed that you, there was not a single black person that was well lit. They all disappeared into darkness. And I felt like that was 
um, a sad commentary. You know, white people having trouble lighting black people correctly is a chronic one. Yeah. yeah not just this movie. Oh, no, for sure. But this this now, like now knowing that, it feels uh, purposeful in a, you know, terrible way. Yeah. It's something that had never occurred to me because obviously I, you know, live a life of privilege. So sure, why sure. would I? But uh, oh, reading, reading reviews of Jordan Peele's work, mm. someone pointed out like Jordan Peele is uniquely good at lighting black people, especially in darkness. Yeah. To make sure that they're still visible. Yeah. So yeah. interesting. It's an interesting thing for me, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, just um, speaking of how this movie was inspired a little bit by the diaries of an assassin, John Hinckley Jr., the guy who attempted to assassinate Ronald Reagan in order to impress Jodie Foster was himself slightly in- inspired by this movie. Huh. Because, you know, she's in it and there's an assassination in it. Mm. Yeah, so. Uh, Martin Scorsese was so distraught over learning this that he almost quit filmmaking. Wow. Yeah, he, okay. he okay. really agonized over how much responsibility he felt like he had over, you know, right. this, in- like, kind of third-hand violence he may have inspired. So Good. Yeah. Yeah. A good thing to ponder. Sure, totally. Mm-hmm. And so, lastly, starting in around two, 2005 and occasionally talked about since then, there have been rumors of a potential sequel kicked around. Really? Yeah. It was okay. uh, kicked around occasionally, brought up every now and again, uh, but somewhat recently Paul Schrader said that that would be, quote, a terrible idea. Yeah, agreed. Right on, a buddy. Very terrible idea. Awful and unnecessary. Absolutely. Yeah. Ruin. It would ruin this one. Yeah. Yeah. Leave it alone. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to our kind of final judgments section here. So, Michelle. Yeah. yeah. What did you think of Taxi Driver? I did not care for it. <laughs> <laughs> did you at least sort of like the way I put it, sort of see it as maybe something to be respected and admired, if not liked? Like, did you at least feel like it was a worthy piece of art? No. <laughs> wow. Okay. Strong, I, but I respect it. I mean, I did think it was it, it was definitely an interesting character piece. It was a very character-driven movie. Um, I don't know. It gave me kind of like the vibe of like, does everyone love and respect this movie because critics keep saying they're supposed to? Yeah. Because like, I just don't, I mean- I mean, it it didn't lack artistic merit by any means. Like, I'm not saying, like, oh, my God, no, that was a piece of shit. Like, I I do think that artistry was put into it. I'm not necessarily sure how much I value or care for that artistry. But knowing what I think that Scorsese was going for, like, it just – I just think he could have done a better job. It is very creepy and weird, and but I don't know if I really got this – I just don't think I got a lot of the messages. Like, I didn't get this, like, insomnia kind of dreamlike state from it. And and ultimately, why? Like, why do you think this story was worth telling or interesting to tell? Like, why is this character – like, why did you want to make this movie? Hmm. Because I feel like you can have plenty of creepy, intense, weird, dreamlike characters and movies. And and I don't know, they just feel more more powerful because you're conflicted in some ways. Like, I, I don't know, I think it would have actually been more interesting if I had cared about this 
person and been like, oh my God, I don't know. This is weird. Like I'm empathizing you with you in ways I didn't expect to. He wasn't gray enough. He wasn't gray at all, in my opinion. <laughs> mm, okay. And yeah, I mean, like from a directorial kind of perspective, I'm there were shots where I saw like, oh, you are doing an artsy thing, but I just still don't like it. Like I don't, I'm like, I just don't think it's still that great of a job. Hmm. Well, I'm somewhat on the same page, somewhat not. I think I think it is clearly uh, an example of a great deal of skill, both on the part of the directing, the writing, the acting. I think a lot of talented people yeah. poured a lot of talent into this movie, and that's obvious. But I don't really enjoy it. Yeah. So, you know, at least in that regard, I agree. It's not really a movie I ever want to throw on. Yeah. I mean, and I... I feel like in a lot of ways I've been wrong before in in that like sometimes when I do like I'm a terrible film student in that like I don't think I really got a lot of stuff out of it. But when I'm then watching a movie with a legitimate film student like who's like really I'm like, oh, yeah, like you get the art of filmmaking um, and they'll explain things to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, now I get it. Oh, yeah, now I'm seeing what you're seeing. Or like, oh, that is cool or that is interesting. So I wonder if I would have more of that perspective of like, oh, I didn't enjoy it, but I value it as an art form if maybe someone who loved it as an art form explained why they thought it was brilliant. Hmm. And maybe I would see then things from a different perspective. Right. But as it stands. Nope. Well, that brings us to our last question, and I think I can tell which way you're leaning. Mm. Was this movie better late than never? Keeping in mind yep. that by better late, I mean that there's something essential about this movie and that having seen it, you as a film connoisseur sure. have now been, you know, made more complete. Mm -hmm. Never means that if you went the rest of your life without seeing this movie, that'd be just a-okay. Yeah. Um. Can I pick both? Ooh. <laughs> controversial. Yes. Um. Because I don't think I would have lost anything from having never seen this movie in my entire life. Like, I think I would have been a-okay with it. But mm -hmm. yes, I having seen it, I mean, I do like, I do think it's worthwhile to see things that are iconic in history because, you know, I, I do like, you know, learning about them and then also kind of wondering exactly what I'm wondering now, which is like, wait, why is that iconic in history? Like, what's going on here? So, you know, I walked away from it glad that I watched it and glad that I did that because that's one more movie in my repertoire that I can say like, hey, I saw that and I could have a conversation with someone about it. Um, so in that regard, like, I guess, yes, it is better late than never but also like i really would not have been upset i think i don't think i would have been missing anything by not seeing it <laughs> yeah fair enough fair enough well you broke my algorithm but i suppose that's okay <gasps> yay i've always wanted to break an algorithm <laughs> i feel like i break netflix's algorithm all the time it doesn't know if i'm a 12 year old boy or a 60 year old woman i think it's like got me narrowed down to one of those two <laughs> what is it recommending for you it's like like a lot of like cartoons and like action and like superheroes and like but then also like do you want to watch this heartfelt like romance of um you know middle-aged people i was with you up till then <laughs> 
Well, anyway, that's our episode for this week. If you would like to contact the podcast, please email us at betterlatethanneverpod at gmail.com or tweet at us at betterlate underscore pod. Michelle, it was great having you. Thank you. I had so much fun. Please come back and do it again. If you insist. I do. Okay. You have to come back. <laughs> oh, all right then. Um, and yeah, I'll catch you all at the next episode. Bye. Bye.